This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Hockey News Podcast presented by Bantam GM. I'm Stephen Ellis. Joining me as always is Ryan Candy. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing great. How about you? Good. How's, how was last week? It was pretty good. It was sunny on the weekend. Yes. Actually went outside. It was beautiful. Yeah, this weekend's looking rainy, rainy, and rainy. Oh, and okay. uh, I'm supposed to go to uh, a barn event, which thankfully be inside because it's going to be pouring rain. Yeah. And uh, yeah, i got a couple other things I want to do this weekend that will be completely impacted by rain. So I'm glad we've had good weather. There you go. We have terrible weather here in Ontario. It's like we had like a day that was like 18 degrees and then the next day it was snowing. Yeah. But you guys aren't here for weather. You're here for hockey talk, which Stanley Cup playoffs, man, it's been a kind of a fun year for the playoffs because or I say interesting year. We will talk about that afterwards. But the biggest story I'd say in hockey right now is not what's going on in the playoffs. It's what's going on in Long Island. The New York Islanders, Barry Trotz, he's out. This is something where... A lot of questions. It's like, okay, he's not the reason the team missed the playoffs. He's not the reason that the arena was built late, or they went on a long road trip to start the year, or they played fifty of their last in like fifty games in the last ninety nine days of the year. It's like that's not the reason. This is something where it almost screams like he just wants out of coaching. But what are your thoughts on this whole thing? It's very interesting, and just for the locals on Long Island. Not yes, Long yes, Island. yes, yes. I don't know. They're very particular about that. It's very intriguing because obviously Lou Lamorello, the GM there, um, you know, he doesn't like to get a, a lot of information and, you know, he wouldn't say what the reasoning was. Uh, he did note he did not consult the players on this. My only kind of thinking is that Lamorello saw the group that he has right now and said to himself, we need changes and either. We need to play a totally different style or we need to sort of regroup and I hesitate to say rebuild because when you look at that Islanders roster right now, it's veteran heavy. Mm -hmm. It's also contract heavy. Yes. If you were actually to rebuild, you'd have to trade like nine guys and most of them are on multi-year deals. So I, I can't really see that. And again, yeah, Trotz is one of the best coaches around. Yeah. And, you know, I know we're going to talk about potential landing places for him. Um, but the only thing I can think of is that Lamorello looked at that group and said, I, I can't win with this group. So maybe a different voice is the first step. And I'm, I'm kind of curious what happens. Like if you look internally, Lane Lambert, the associate coach, would be the most obvious candidate. Mm -hmm. You know, this is somebody who has been a head coach at the AHL level. He's been an assistant coach basically with Barry Trotz over the years, whether it was Nashville, Washington, or the Islanders. Now, is that a complicating factor? Is Lane Lambert sort of beholden to Barry Trotz? Is there sort of, you know, a sense that he would go wherever Trotz goes next? I have no idea. But it, it definitely is puzzling because, yeah, it was a bad year for the Islanders, but they did have good playoff years before that. Is it a matter of unlocking the offense? Um, I guess that's a possibility. But if you look at Trotz historically, I mean, when he won, won the Stanley Cup with the Washington Capitals, mm -hmm. they were a top 10 offense. Yep. So we know he's a defensive mastermind, but it doesn't necessarily come at the expense of goals. So it's, it's a head scratcher and, and really, you know, because 
the Islanders um, and Lou Lamorello tend to be a, a closed book publicly, it's really hard to speculate. And you didn't mention Lane Lambert. Uh, it'd be funny. Hey, maybe they go out there and get Brad Lambert in the draft. Related. Um, but this is someone who he was in Milwaukee when uh, Terry Trotz was in Nashville. He then went to Washington, was part of that cup run. Now he was part of the Islanders. So, yeah, you did bring a point. Like, is he going to – maybe he goes where Trotz goes. Um, but for this, it's like my truth – feeling here like like again he's not the reason they failed but this is a guy that's continuously everywhere he's been whether it be nashville a team that seemed like they he was there for quite a long time for a team that didn't have any playoff success and it's because he got the most of what they had and that's a team that when you look at when they made the cup final a couple of years ago this is a group that it feels like they always like they have like an internal salary cap and then they have an internal salary cap on that at salary cap because it seems like for as good of the talent they have they can never build too much to it but Goes to Washington, gets Ovechkin, gets all these players, and then goes wins the Stanley Cup and then leaves. Goes to the Islanders. Did a lot for a team where every year we were undervaluing what they could do. Certainly. And it's like every year it's like, oh, like they're surprised. They made it to the conference final. And the Islanders fans are like, well, look how great we are. In, in trots we trust. And then he's gone. Yeah. And it's like this is something where I do, you don't really need a shakeup because, in my opinion, because, yeah, they had a terrible year. But look at all the factors. And then look at, like, Sorokin played fantastic. Mm. He was a top-five goalie for most of the year. There were still some really key pieces there. To me, they're not far off of still being a very competitive group. Um, but now he's gone. And it, it's like, what, what do you do if you're the Islanders? What is yeah. your next choice? And that's going to be one of the most fascinating Storylines to watch this summer is what do the Islanders become? Is there a roster shakeup or is it just a matter of Lamoureux thinking that a different voice could get more offense out of this team while still being a, a pretty good defensive squad? And, you know, they don't have a lot of young guys that uh, can be difference makers. You know, like Noah Dobson's mm -hmm. going to continue to ascend. Yep. And, you know, we knew he would be a great defenseman. Um Otherwise, you know, I guess you can get a little bit more out of Oliver Wallstrom, you know, more consistency in that regard. But there's not a lot of help coming internally. So then the question becomes, you know, how active are they on the trade market? Mm -hmm. You know, can they be active in free agency at all? Again, I mean, they're pretty locked down when it comes to contracts. So let's see what they do. And the thing with Noah Dobson, I feel like he was probably one of the most underrated defensemen in the league this year. Do you remember how many points he got? I don't actually. Fifty-one points. Wow. Yeah. I would not. Have That's something that, that most people who didn't follow the Islanders closely and yeah. they they weren't a playoff contender, so it's easy to kind of skip it. True. It's like just hard to believe. But again, Noah Dobson was an amazing prospect. Yes, he went back to back Memorial Cups with two different teams. That's not easy to do. He was one of my favorite players on that draft year. He was uh, great. So, um, but now this brings the question up of what Trotz does next, and I still have the theory. That And there's been rumors that maybe he goes into a management side of things. And it's not something where he becomes an assistant a GM type thing. I think he's been around the league long enough. I think if he would be – the fact that it was so vague as to why he's gone, right. that's what makes me question it because it, it's clearly not performance-based, right, right. even though, yeah, they didn't miss the playoffs. Um, but this is something where if he wants to coach again, you got to think that teams even in the playoffs have to be rethinking things. For sure. If a team like the Leafs moves in the first round, Right. Do they say, well, Barry Trotz is that exciting for us? We almost thought Bruce Bujo would have been that exciting piece for them. Yeah. But um, so, so for that, it's like teams, 
even just competitive groups have to be thinking about. And and Trotz is a little older. I don't think he wants to go through a full rebuild either. Mm-hmm. Like Detroit seems like an option, yeah. or, or or Winnipeg and these teams that they that if you throw him in, it's like it's going to be a while until you're really competitive. Winnipeg might be a little closer, but yeah. like it's like something where you don't want if you're him, you want to go for another chance at a cup, and mm-hmm. you're not waiting five six years for that because if you are being there for a rebuild jeff blashell knows all about that nothing is safe right so with that in mind kind of what are your thoughts on what he does next yeah i think detroit's an interesting option but they are a few years away at least from contending and you know i think we talked about this before like with the red wings you know the next person you bring in you want them to kind of establish their culture next season and maybe the year after that. So you're not really worried about making the playoffs. You want to be in the mix. Yeah. You want to be playing competitive games in March um, because you don't want to have that culture of losing around. And then from there, you want to sort of take the next step where you're looking at a team that is based off of Moritz Sider, Lucas Raymond. You know, we'll see who they get in the draft. Um, you know, Dylan Larkin, you got to make a decision on him in the next couple of years. You know, is, is he still going to be your number one center uh, or at least, you know, a top six center? Uh, because, you know, he certainly fills that role already. So, you know, Detroit's interesting, uh, but I see what you're saying. You know, Trotz might not want to stick around for four or five years to make the playoffs again. Uh, Winnipeg, I definitely think that's a team that can be coached up. And, you know, they should have been in the playoff mix this year even though they were in the central, which was pretty tough. But, you know, they have most of the elements already and they should be there, especially because, you know, they have a great mm-hmm. goalie in Connor Halebuck um, and they have a lot of experience there and they're a veteran lineup. The other one that I'm kind of wondering is Vancouver. You know, there's been a lot of mm-hmm. talk around the Canucks that, you know, as great as Bruce Boudreaux was for Vancouver this year and pulling them out of that early funk, when he took over, there's all these rumblings that it's not exactly what the franchise wants in terms of style of play. And I mean, Barry Trotz, he's as structured as they come. So maybe he is the kind of different voice that the Canucks bring in and say, look, we've got some great two way guys. You know, we've got some talent here. Um, you know, we got an amazing young defenseman in Quinn Hughes. You know, we've got a great leader in Bo Horvat. What can you do with this group to get us mm-hmm. back into the playoffs and, you know, take a team that has a lot of potential and actually follow through on it? Yeah, I think Hoover's would be my choice for sure. Also, I like the idea of Seattle, and that's one where they still have their coach. But uh, I, I think, like, that's one where you don't want to go for a full rebuild, and obviously for them it's literally a build, yeah, building yeah. the team. But to me that is almost exciting because they're going to get a bunch of great picks in the first couple of years that this might not be that long of a rebuild or a build, I guess they, they could be competitive in a few years. Um, argument that maybe he, the Vegas Golden Knights are a better team with him. Like there's a bunch of the, like these teams that like, like, but Vancouver, I agree. Like that's something where the defense kills them a lot, where if you need Thatcher, I'm going to be making 40 saves a night and Quinn Hughes playing like a thousand minutes a night too. Yeah. It's like, you're, you're, you need some help. And we know he knows how to run a defensive group. So, uh, and what about the Rangers? If they go down, if they go down, down to Pittsburgh, you gotta ask the question. They still need to add just pieces to that blue line in just general, like regardless of who the coach is. They just like Adam Fox can't be Adam Fox every single night. Yeah. He will have some off nights, and and Keandre Miller is great too. But they just need to. That's more than coaching there on the defense yeah. situation. All right, 
we already have one team at the time of recording this uh, that has moved on, the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, are they the favorites in the West right now? Um, and is it too, maybe dangerous to win this early? Well, I, I can understand the idea of you don't want to have a long layoff necessarily before you play an opponent that you know just got off a serious victory. But what I will say is one of the big keys in the playoffs is staying healthy. So every day that you don't have to play is a good day. And yes, uh, the Avs you know, lost Darcy Kemper to that eye injury. Fortunately, Pavel Frankuz was, was able to come in, finish off the series, and now they get a break. So Kemper can heal up. Hopefully he's good for game one of their second round series. And you know, for me, I, I think it's, it's awesome for the Avs where they can rest. You know, We always talk about the playoffs being a war of attrition. So for those guys to just be able to like take it easy for a couple of days, I know it's only the first round, but I mean, it all piles up. Mm -hmm. So any extra time you get for preparation, I think is a huge advantage. And this was a team that, you know, coming into the playoffs, they were already the favorite in the West, if not just the favorite overall. So to take care of business and be through, that's the best. Because, I mean, it's been a, a very interesting playoffs and I know we're going to keep talking about it, but to just get through and get your business done where with so many series, we have no idea how they're going to end or how long it's going to take for them to end. It's just a huge advantage. And and if they win this series, they'll play one of Minnesota or St. Louis. And that series has been truly back and forth. You never know what's going to go on. And then there's a chance that they might have to play one of, let's say they win that series, play the winner of a potential Calgary Edmonton series. And this is very projecting, but sure. it's like, you know, those two teams aren't going to be easy on each other. They're going to no. be out there killing each other. And Kachuk's already do, trying to do his best to just carve Klingberg's head into the ice every yeah. single game. Um, but when you're looking at that, it's like, yeah, that, that is – the advantage of being healthy, especially in a year where they've played more games than they have in the last couple of years because mm -hmm. of the full 82 game season as opposed to a 56 last year or even a short, uh, the shortened one the year before that. So having that rest is big. But it's something where they faced no adversity. Like yeah. they did the one game go to overtime and they, they still had like what, 48 shots or 49 shots on, on Conor Ingle. Like they still were just peppering him with opportunities. That was just a goalie that played fantastic. So um yeah, the the rest is definitely huge, and they hope to have Kemper back soon. And uh, they've got like close to a week off essentially, so that that's helpful. And uh, I think they would have maybe liked for a little. It's like we see the World Junior sometimes the team that just rolls through the the first few rounds, then just lose because they face defense for the first Sweden round. Factor. <laughs> Canada for the longest time when they kept like getting a bye to the like the semifinals it was killing them every year. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the so I, I like that. Colorado was my pick to make the Stanley Cup final. I know what your pick was there. But I, I think that that was huge. That helped. Everything was firing on all cylinders. I did pick Nathan McKinnon to get like 11 points. He didn't, but it didn't matter. They won a lot of big games. And for the National Predators, which is our next topic here, you know what? No one expected them to really contend in this series. And it feels like of all the playoff series, that was the one that was like complete yeah. write-off. And I feel bad because like for us, like the Preds just really did a lot of good things this year. Mm -hmm. So what kind of positives can you take out of this year? I mean, out of the year, I think the, the resurrection of Matt Duchesne is number one. And he was actually the only player on Nashville this series that wasn't a minus. Uh, other than Cody Glass was a 
he was even. And I know we don't really talk about plus minus anymore, but it is kind of interesting that he was a plus one. Plus minus is not a great stat, but it's like if, if one guy is very different from the others and yeah. it's a key player, that's an interesting yeah, that's tidbit. Yeah, it's something. So, you know, Duchesne was a point per game guy. Um, so great sign there. And, you know, this year obviously saw Roman Yossi get into like superstar status. Yes. You know, I mean, he was already one of the top defensemen in the league, but I think this year he went above and beyond. So that's a great sign. Now, I mean, otherwise, there's not a lot of positives, I would say, for Nashville. You know, they made the playoffs in a tough division. Mm -hmm. Good for them. Um, but the big decision this summer is what do you do about Philip Forsberg? Can you bring him back? What is the plan in Nashville? Like, what is the path ahead? UC Saros was good in net, yes. but because he was injured, once again, we are robbed of the opportunity to see if he can be a playoff goaltender. We don't know yet. I mean, he's, he hasn't won, uh, you know, he didn't win a series last year, obviously. Um, and you just don't know. As good as he's been, is he a championship goaltender? We don't know yet. Uh, so I'm very interested to see what Nashville summer looks like because there are some big decisions in terms of not only Forsberg yep. re-signing, but what's the direction overall of this team. And, you know, it's it's not an easy job, especially when you're in such a competitive division, but it's going to be a very, very interesting storyline. So a lot of talk about Duchesne this year, but what about Granlin, the guy who had 64 points this year for like his last two and a half years of the Predators, he had 61 points. Right. So like... Yeah, like this is the return to form. I believe it's not his highest point season, but I think it's like his third or fourth. So mm -hmm. a pretty good return there. Uh, again, you just mentioned Yossi. This is like, he's obviously got a Norris trophy. We know he's great, but like this was like, yeah, you truly are like, yeah. And, and he's doing, he, he did it on a team that did face a lot of shots. And uh, which Na Nashville's defense has always been good. And that's literally always a talk. It's like talking about Team Switzerland and every offense. Like, you know, their defense is probably good. Even though in recent years, I'm not as impressed. But it's like, you, you know, you can kind of rely on it at a certain point. But having Yossi be that good and having Saros be the, the, the true replacement. And, and we talked about in a previous episode, it feels like Nashville's never had a bad goalie, like a never a bad number true. one uh, guy. Yeah. Even Dan Ellis had some really good seasons yeah. and like Vokun obviously before that and Beck Rene. But um, yeah, like the, the, the Nashville... There, there's a lot to be excited about, but you're going against a Colorado Avalanche team that was just rolling high. But the, the fact is, one injury to one player ruined basically any chance of kind of winning a game. Yeah. And... Colorado felt like they were playing on a power play in that first game the entire period. And David Riddick, man, like, I got a lot, I, when I wrote a couple years ago in Calgary, I, I had did no belief in him. And then he made the All Star game shortly after. And I'm like, I still don't believe in him. So it's like, yeah, there's so many re like red flags with him just not being a very consistent goalie and then getting killed. He just too many games where he just got killed. So I'd be interested to see what they do if Connor Ingram is the backup next year. Yeah. He's got a ton of talent. Yeah. Um, I don't think the end of that series is indicative of anything. But this is a guy that he's a good story. Like you know, he really. was he was in the the minor. He was a world junior backup goalie. Played pretty well. If Carter Hart goes to the AHL All Star goalie. Gets sent to the ECHL for internal reasons, and then uh, gets traded for a seventh round pick. Ends up having to take some time off to uh, to to go get some help, and then comes back and plays awesome. It's like he's a fun story. He certainly is, and yeah, as a as a backup, I think he can fill that role. And, you know, for Nashville, I think a lot of us are just kind of waiting on either Yaroslav Askarov or even Thomas Vamaska um, to develop into NHL goaltenders. Obviously, they're just at the beginning of their pro careers. 
and and just the beginning of their development, but I don't think they're too far off. And that's exciting. But in the meantime, you're looking at Soros, uh, who obviously carried the weight this season. And yeah, Connor Ingram, I mean, why not? So when when Ascroft was drafted in 2020, uh, it was kind of a pretty so-so season for Soros. And it was him and Rene kind of just battling for who truly was the number one on that team. But now that he's kind of like just really kind of helped his profile here, mm-hmm. Ascroft's coming at an interesting time where yeah. you, 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 I feel like for sure, he's got to go to the AHL for a season. Oh, uh, certainly. Yeah, because yeah, you want to adopt to the North American game, and you have to – and, I mean, he's still super young. Let's not forget that. I mean, we've been talking about Askarov for years because, you know, he was so good so early. But goaltenders, you know, there's a path they need to take, and it's pretty rare when you get, like, a Spencer Knight who comes in basically, you know, I don't know if he was 19 or 20 when he played his first NHL game, but, you know, that's kind of the exception to the rule. And – you know, even though Askarov um, was actually high, you know, rated a little bit higher than Spencer Knight, mm-hmm. you know, playing your whole career in Russia, it's just different from the North American game. And as a goalie, you need to adjust to smaller ice, you know, where guys are shooting from, just the traffic, the speed of the game, you know. So you want to come in and, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the best thing for him would be to spend some time in Milwaukee first with the admirals and just sort of get the lay of the land. And then from there, you put him in some games, you see how he does, and all with the knowledge that you have a starter right now in Soros who can take you pretty far. And I think ideally, you know, in a couple of years, you're looking at a battery situation between the two Mm -hmm. where you see who can help the most and then playoff time, again, my personal bias but you go with the bigger goaltender which would be Askarov um, if you really want to make a deep run but again having Soros is such a luxury because you know you're going to get solid goaltending for the next three four or five years however long you need him if they do one a one b situation in like two three years like totally. that you, you'll have one of the best goalie duos in the league for sure <laughs> that's pretty fun for Nashville yeah. and the thing about Askarov you mentioned Spencer Knight like college goalies the workloads are very interesting because a good college goalie is playing almost every single game of the season yeah Askarov my count here played 17 games total yeah it's not ideal not not a lot of games this season yeah. and in last year he played nine in the KHL six in the VHL and two in the MHL and yeah. six of the juniors so yeah. and when you go to the AHL you know you could have you know, three games in three days or three games in four days. And as a goaltender, that means you could have two starts a weekend and it really pushes you. Um, but at the same time, you get some pretty good development during the week. And, but also AHL teams do like to rely on their veteran goalie a lot too because also they still true. do want to win. It yes. is a development system, but yeah. like in Europe, they do want to win to a yeah. point. So uh, there's that. All right, my biggest question, my favorite topic of this this episode. Has this first round been a lot of fun? On one hand, We've been seeing a lot of series 2-2 and and potentially, I think we're going to get quite a few game sevens here. Mm. On the other hand, every night we seem to be talking about five or six goal, like deficits essentially. Right. What are your thoughts? Personally, I have found it very fun. Okay. And yes, yes, there have been blowouts, but they're not predictable blowouts. No, they're funny. Which is kind of the fun part. Like, I mean, like look at the Toronto-Tampa series (laughs) where it's like, I don't, from night to night, I have no idea what's going to happen. Jack Campbell steals the show one night, the next night he lost three goals and six shots. (laughs) Exactly. And I think John Cooper had sort of a funny comment a couple of days ago where, you know, Campbell had like a shutout and then gave up seven goals. He's like, hey, that's three and a half goals per game. We're happy with that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, 
you know, it's it's kind of funny how uh, things go. Or I guess it was five and two. Yeah, yeah, it was five and two. But then they hung seven on him, so I guess the next game will be a shutout. Yeah, because um, <laughs> that's just how this series yeah, is. Welcome to playoffs. But I mean. You know, I think the big storyline so far has been we've seen like third string goalies come in, and yep. Louis Domingue has been a fantastic story for Pittsburgh, and and you know, we mentioned Connor Ingram coming in for Nashville, and there's been several cases where we've seen goalies forced into duty. You know, Peter Kachetkov in Carolina. I think that's been great. There's been an unpredictability to these playoffs that it kind of mirrors the regular season more yeah. so where you don't know what's going to happen sort of game to game. And we're not used to it. And we're not necessarily used to a lot of penalties being called in the playoffs. So teams are still adjusting to that. And I mean, there's just drama all over the place, like Charlie McAvoy getting into COVID protocol and missing games for the Bruins, but then Boston playing that first game without him and beating Carolina yeah. to get back into the series. I mean, there's just so many cool storylines um, and yeah, the games aren't necessarily close all the time. I mean, we had the one epic triple overtime, triple overtime at the beginning, game, day right two. <laughs> and honestly, I think that might have ruined Shesterkin. In you know, yeah. like based on how he's played since, like I think that was just like too much. Um, based on how the Rangers have played in front of him since, yep. you know, if, if they had been solid defensively after that game, then he made it fine. He made a ton of saves, but the problem was he had to make those saves. Exactly. And Pittsburgh made a goalie change and didn't have to face that many. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, I mean, New York's defense has not been good and that's been the main problem. Um, but yeah, just as a neutral observer, you know, like Calgary Dallas hasn't been like super fun. I thought, you know, last night's game was more interesting than we've seen. Um, and then, of course, you know, Colorado Nashville, we knew that would be a sweep. But I mean, look at Florida Washington. Like, how many people predicted that's how that series no. would go? Yeah. You know, so a lot of storylines for me. Yeah. The, that's the one thing I'll say. A ton of storylines. The, the on. And there's been some good drama, even in some of these lopsided games. It's just, man, it feels like the, it was like Sunday night. There was a couple five two games and like a like a seven three, and it's like, yeah, that's not fun. But at the same time, it's like it, it's so unpredictable. We truly don't know who the next like bunch of teams moving on are yeah. going to be. Which I guess is part of what makes the Stanley Cup playoffs great. And I think we're used to it where it seems like every year there's like, let's look at overtime counter. And, oh, there's a thousand overtimes in the first like two rounds. It's great. And we haven't really had that. Yeah. But it, it has been unpredictable. And I love the goalie storylines. And you know that. But oh, yeah. uh, Louis Domingue, it felt like every star I was writing for a bit was goalies. But there were so many good stories going on. Just start to make a billion saves. Domingue, like falling asleep halfway through the game and playing and finishing and winning. So there's been those good stories. And, um, the, the one I, photo I really liked, I believe, was uh, Emily Kaplan posted of, uh, of Jack LaFontaine because he was the emergency goalie, which oh, right. emergency goalies, in this case, are their actual, actual goalies. goalies. Uh, but like because he wasn't on the bench, he was basically like sitting on like a table in like the medical room because he had nowhere else he could be. And it's like, yeah. oh, that's kind of cool. Um, but it's... I would love to see kind of an explosive end here. Let's see a couple of days to end this round where we get some closer games where teams are fighting for. I don't want a game seven where it's four nothing, five nothing. Yeah. And unfortunately, it, it, there's only two ways a game seven goes, and it's either super super tight or not close at all. Yes, and, and when you look at like the LA Edmonton series, like that one's probably the funniest for me. Edmonton wins eight two and then loses four nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. It's it's the unpredictability that's great. And even with all that, Mike Smith allowing a bunch of goals and a couple of lopsided losses and still like his numbers are still fantastic. Yeah. Um but yeah, it, it, the unpredictability is kind of what we look for in the playoffs. 
I just hope we end it with it with some more competitive games. The Nashville Colorado series, it was funny seeing that like that game one was like okay, every shot was going in. This was right. this was kind of entertaining, and then it's like, oh, and then they might do it again later in the series. Oh, and then this wasn't very fun, and it's like yeah, yeah I want to see a bit more competitive. But it, it is better than a, like five games of really close games where one team wins four one in the series. Yeah, some music going on somewhere. So we got a party going on here in our building. Uh, all right. Uh, so the next question, the biggest surprise of the playoffs, and my I'll, I'll start with mine because you've kind of mentioned it, yeah. kind of just how the Rangers' defense has just kind of fallen asleep. And it's it's we knew that was probably going to be their their downfall to a point, but it's like not to this level where yeah. they're they they have the like, Pittsburgh's using their third goalie, yeah. the guy who played like two games in the regular season like you gotta go out there and beat him and, and you don't know what you don't know Deming's coming in and he's fresh and the team probably didn't they weren't scouting heavily the third and fourth goalies for Pittsburgh yeah. but come on yeah this is just what's going on here yeah and I, I think that to me was one of the biggest surprises as well is that you know people have been saying all year the Rangers are a paper tiger like Shesterkin is covering up a lot of their mistakes and it just felt like if we know it, then they must know it, yeah. right? Like there must be some way to sort of coach them up. And, you know, I mean, with no Ryan Lindgren for, you know, that hurt, you know, in some of the games. Um, but, yeah, like if you're if you're facing a third-string goalie, you should be pushing the pace hardcore. Yeah, with Panarin and all these guys. Yeah. You should just be like, you know. Damn the torpedoes. And it, it hasn't been like that. Pittsburgh has dictated the play for the most part. And, you know, it speaks to the Penguins' experience. It speaks to their ability to plug guys in. And, I mean, Sidney Crosby has been fantastic. So that obviously helps. And, you know, with Malkin there as well, chipping in offense, it's like you do have that pick-your-poison mentality. Um, but I, I just thought that New York would learn uh, from their regular season mistakes and make sure that they lock things down in the playoffs, and we have not seen it. The other thing I would say, you know, on a more positive side of the ledger, is the way Washington has played against yes. Florida. Yes. And again, you know, the Florida Panthers, President's, Cup, President's Trophy winners, and, you know, this amazing high-octane offense. Washington, not known as a defensively staunch team, uh, but they've managed to slow things down, and they've managed to take the Panthers off their game for the most part and doing so, you know, without Tom Wilson, who has always been that sort of, you know, guy that gets into people's heads in the playoffs, but the caps, you know, the fact that they are like not only surviving, but thriving here, I think that puts a little bit of fear into the Panthers where they say, okay, well, wait, this is supposed to be our year of what's happening in Washington. They're like, Hey, we've been here before. Mm -hmm. We know how this dance works. And, it's it's paying off for them. Hey, Florida, you want to have Barry Trost to finish the series up? But uh, yeah, no, the, uh, the the Capitals like full marks. They've been fantastic, and we thought the goaltending was going to fall apart there. And there were points where yeah, the goaltending hasn't been good, but they're winning the goalie duel, which is a bit of a surprise. Uh, and they're they're getting the offense, and yeah, they're they, that's a very fun series. That's yeah. one where I'm I'm enjoying that a lot. Uh, to, to kind of go back to the, the Pittsburgh thing, I did like I that was my pick. That was my like sleeper pick for to win the cup this year, just because like they kind of just no problem adversity, like not a thing for them this year. Every time they're someone's hurt, they're like, well, we're just gonna play that much better, yeah. and that's been fun. Uh, it will be interesting if they 
do get Trish and Jari back at some point, like to either yeah. finish a series or if they make the series or what happens around two, like, are they like, if he's ready to go, if he's healthy and at this point you, you don't change him. If he's healthy for the next game, I think you just ride to Ming, just give, give Jari a bit of extra time. And then, uh-huh. you, cause it's what three and one in the series right now. So it's like three, one, three, one. So they yeah. can afford to lose another game if they need to. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> I wouldn't throw away. A game no, 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 but, them, but, but, but Deming's get, he's getting the job done. He is getting the so job you done. ride the guy who was working. Yeah. Um, that's just how I look at it. But uh, yeah, that's a series that's, uh, going to be very fun to watch at the end. Unless you're a New York Rangers fan, it seems like people are not liking the refing in that series, or people just aren't liking the refing in general. People but never like the refs. No, no, and yeah. it's always in the playoffs, and everyone's against you. It's like, well, you look at like the Toronto fans have been very vocal. It's like, well, they're getting, Tampa is getting hit with a lot of penalties too. It's yeah. just Toronto's getting hit with more yeah. because they're taking a lot of dumb penalties. Yeah. I, I don't know how many more third and fourth line guys need to take, get a slashing penalty in that series, yeah. but it's a lot. Uh, all right. Time for our viewer questions. Uh, first one from George Smalls, which made me think of George Shrinks. Did you ever see that show? Ever heard of that show? Well, I guess it was from my age, but it's a show about a guy who's like this tall and he's uh, he plays hockey. Okay. Um, so it's a very Canadian show. Yeah. What's a change you'd make to the playoffs? And it's very open ended. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much like the playoffs as is. Um, I, I guess the only thing is you know the format, and this is something that gets bandied about a lot. Um, you know. The divisional format, it's funny. It's like for a few years there, it felt like we were seeing the same matchups. But this year, you know, just because of the way the wild card worked out, I think it's been a little more interesting. We've seen some new matchups. Um, but I would go one to eight instead of the divisional format. I would go conference format um, just to give the number one team a little more of a reward. And I mean, sometimes it doesn't make a huge difference, but just to get some new matchups in there. And I think it's a way of keeping the playoffs fresh where every, whatever, 10 years or so you mix up the format and, you know, you just get those different combinations of teams playing and you get new rivalries that you might not have ever expected Mm -hmm. before. So yeah, I think things are pretty good, but that would be the one that uh, I would say, you know, eventually it'll be time to go back to one to eight. I say we uh, use a shootout to decide all the games. No, Bull, no, I'm no. not. No, uh, I, although I, I, I will still be a, a shootout defender for the regular season. <laughs> Partly because I don't want to sit there for an extra like hour watching overtimes. Um, the for me, I the one that I know would never happen would be a one game Stanley Cup final. I said that before, right. but but also maybe just a, a one to sixteen seating situation. Mm-hmm. I, I know the travel portion would be tough, and it's something we've talked about before. But it's like look at. The rivalries are always fun at the start of the playoff rounds because you get to do those divisional rivalries. But as you go on later, those rivalries are gone because yeah. then you're playing teams that you might not play as much. Or you go to the cup final, you get like Dallas and like Tampa Bay. It's like, well, they don't have a rivalry at all. It's yeah. like, okay, they're both Southern. Great. That's not, right. that's not really a rivalry. Uh, but which place is better barbecue? Like, yeah. like, that, like it'd be almost cool where we could get a... I don't know, a Florida-Tampa final somehow, or if we mm-hmm. can get... Because, like, you look at what makes, like, Olympic, like world championships, Olympics, and stuff like that, is you'll get a Canada-USA uh, or a Sweden-Finland final, mm-hmm. uh, even if they played in the same group throughout the, the main tournament. Um, yeah, it'd be tough for travel, uh, and you, you might get a couple stinkers in the first round when you've got a first versus a 16, essentially. But to me, that would be kind of a way where it'd be kind of fun to see just, like... Like, like, just see those potential rivalries come out later in the, in the playoffs. Actually, here, here's one totally off the wall will never happen, but would be a fun idea. When you beat a team in the playoffs, you get to... Choose your opponent? You, no, no. You get to take one of their players 
and add them to yours to, to the next round. It'll be a loan. It's so, you know, the contract reverts back to that team, you know, the next season. So like, you know, Colorado can take Matt Duchesne, but then <laughs> Matt Duchesne's back on Nashville in the regular season. And then, you know, in the next round you get another player. Because then if you want the best players, you know, playing at the end of the playoffs, you would have two super teams and it would it would guard <laughs> against catastrophic in- injuries. But then also give like a reason for like the fans of those teams that are out to cheer for that's like, right. Like, that's it's actually, like, hey, that, you know, Claude Drew's going to get his cup or whatever. It oh, that, that'd be. be fun. Like yeah. stupid, but fun. Stupid and fun. Uh, like that's for my motto. I'm still on the let's go to a one game winner takes all for the Stanley Cup final and make it a major event and play it in a major stadium right. type thing and kind of do something cool. That's intriguing. That would be cool. I but like that the stadium idea. Uh, but what makes more money, one game or seven games? True, yeah. So, um, but TV ratings might be actually through the roof. If you want a really good TV ratings, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Do a winner takes all type thing. Um, man, oh shit, I really like that idea. Like to take a player, but like as long as like the play, like oh, I need surgery now. Like yeah, it's like it's like when the player give it up. Like the player wants to win the Stanley Cup. I'd say exactly. so. Yeah. Hmm. That'd be interesting. I feel bad for the players. It'd be like take- an instant Ray Bork scenario. But maybe it's something so like you don't like. You're not like screwing the players over that have been there all season long. Yeah. Like, play that's like what I'm saying. It's like you have so many series. injuries during the playoffs. Yeah, it's that true. It's like, yeah. You know, you're going to need somebody anyways. All right. Well, we're running out of defense. Duchesne, can you play defense? <laughs> He's like, no. Well, we're going to put you there anyways. All right. Uh, next question comes from Daniel Phipps. With one year left on his contract, does Jonathan Huberto test free agency or stay in Florida after 2023? Mm. I mean, I think he stays because there's no reason not to. The only wrinkle I would say is that. Alexander Barkov's contract kicks in at $10 million. Bobrovsky's at $10 million. Ekblad's at seven and a half. And those are all long-term deals that will still be going once it's time for Huberto's next contract. So what's the cap situation at that point? How much money does Huberto want at the time? Now, if Florida wins the Stanley Cup between now and his next contract, then things kind of get you know, thrown out the window because, you know, it's like, if you want your title and you already have one, then you can think about, okay, well, where do I want to play? You know, is there something else I want to do in my career? Do I want to be a leader of a team that's rebuilding now? You know, do I want to be closer to home? You know, all those factors. But if Florida has not won the cup, then if you look at the situation he's in, he knows his team's going to be competitive for the next half a decade, maybe even the next decade, yeah. because you have... Him, Barkov, Ekblad, and then, you know, Bobrovsky or Spencer Knight in net. So it's like Florida's going to be good for a long time. Also, you live in Florida. So the weather's nice pretty much all the time during the season. You can wear shorts to the rink. You know, there's no state income tax. So there's a lot going for you if you're the Panthers and you want to retain him. And at his age, you know, you can sign another long-term deal and – It'll probably be worth it for most of the time, if not the whole duration of the contract. So, yeah, unless they win a cup and he wants to do something else, I definitely think he resigns, and and they would definitely want him. The Panthers are set up in a situation where between him and Barkov, like they could have their own like Patrick Kane, like Jonathan Taze type situation. Yeah, totally. two guys that are just going to be the faces of the team for a long time. And yeah. and for the Florida Panthers, this is something where the excitement is definitely there right now. The crowds are a lot of fun, and it's always been like, oh, look at the crowd. Huh? There's like nobody there. Yeah, it's so funny. The parking lot's probably more full. Uh, but in, in terms of there, it's like. 
you've got a star guy who can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And he's not going to win the MVP award, but if he's always in the conversation, that's that's going to get attention. Totally. And that's going to get people excited. And uh, Huberto was a guy that we knew from early age in junior. I used to shout, watch him in the world juniors, call him Huberduber because I forgot what his name was every single time. Um, but it's like, this is a guy that's just, he's a star. And yeah. you, it, you don't. You don't want to let him go. So I think he'll stay in Florida. And like you said, a lot of reasons for him to not leave. Indeed. Like if, if, if Florida is the only place you play in your NHL career, it's not bad. Could have been worse. Exactly. Could have been there. All right. It's time for the rapid fire, AKA I forgot about it until this morning and I had to do it just as we were sitting here preparing right, for the show. Uh, but I still think the questions. Okay. Would you rather be a goalie or a skater in a one-on-one winner takes all in game seven of the Stanley cup final? Ooh, you know what? I think I'd rather be a goalie. Because if you're doing it right, then the other guy makes the first move. Yes. So if I had that in mind, I think I'd be more confident because it's easier to destroy than it is to create. So I feel like stopping a chance would be easier than beating a goaltender. Yeah, I I will say uh, having been both in ball hockey championships, I could tell you I would like to rather be the goalie, uh, even though it's like the most nerve-wracking thing in the world. If you have parents at the game, it's worse for them for sure. Uh, but it's like you know, like yeah, yeah. You 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 want to force the guy to make the first move, but then you also like goalies become like heroes for making big saves, and True. people will remember that. Yeah. And look at when the Penguins won that that Stanley Cup in like '09. Who was what's the one play everyone kind of remembers from that final game against Detroit? Yeah, Mark Country Flurry making that huge save. No one remembers who scored in that game. So, okay. If you could have a, a famous guitarist guitar, like their signature guitar, Ooh. whose would it be? You know what? Uh, I would have to be like Eddie Van Halen's red guitar because when I think of guitar excellence, that's what I think of. And it's such an iconic design that as soon as anybody that knows anything about music saw it, they'd be like, whoa, that's Eddie Van Halen's guitar. So I'm pretty sure Dimebag Daryl has that guitar. Uh, oh. he, when he died, he, uh, Eddie Van Halen gave it to him. Oh, okay. Uh, so, um, like his classic guitar and I'm assuming he probably had multiple, but it was one that he recorded with it, uh, recorded albums with. So it was like a big deal for him. Oh. Uh, on that, I was going to say Dimebag Daryl's lightning, uh, uh, lightning blue and black, uh, uh, Dean ML guitar. Uh, one just me was one of my favorite guitars of all time. And, uh, he also like, the way he would do like pig squealing on his guitar, just kind of different cool things with the whammy bar made me think like, oh, there's more to guitar than power chords and, mm. and solos. It's like, there's actually some cool things you could do with it that made me kind of learn more about guys like Tom Morello or guys yeah. who kind of just did try to try different stuff sure. with guitar. So not me. I'm only power chords. Well, <laughs> I say that as I mostly just play power chords yeah. myself, but you know, there's that. Uh, how many Norris trophies will kill McCart win? Ooh, that's a great question. Okay, so I feel like he's definitely going to win it next year. Um, and then, you know, you got to think, like, at some point, does Quinn Hughes get good enough to be in the mix? Does Victor Hedman have another one in the mix? So I'm going to say this is going to sound low, but I'm just being realistic. I think Cam McCarr will win two or three. Yeah, starting next year, he's going to win one. And then because the Norris tends to be a, like, turns yeah. situation, I think Hedman's going to win another one. And, me, well, and I mean, Yossi could win another one, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but Makar's definitely going to win at least two, maybe three. I'm going to go with three. Um, 
Because we also got to look at like Adam Fox will probably be a contender at some point, and yeah. there'll be some. But other... he already has one. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he'll, he'll, to to be another yeah. guy to get one. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going with McCarthy. It's hard to win a lot. It's hard to be Nicholas Lidstrom. It's true. Days. Yeah, it just the voting just doesn't go that way anymore. So that's and yeah. no one's Nicholas Lidstrom anymore. That is true. Also, uh, there's a guy in Sweden in like one of the Swedish junior leagues named Nicholas Lidstrom. That's true. But there's probably actually like eight Nicholas. Yeah, Lidstroms, and but the three of them probably play together. Yeah, in the same yeah. team. Uh, what is the greatest movie soundtrack from movie made after 2000? After 2000, oh, that's tough because like soundtracks were such a big deal in yes. like the 90s. So now I have to think about like what came out soundtracks. I also have to think about like. What happened in the 2000s? When was Judgment Night? That was probably 90s as well. I don't know. I don't know. Mm, I'd have to look up when... No, that was definitely in the 90s. Because that was all like... Rap groups and rock groups together. I'm going to say... And again, I'm hoping this is after 2000. I'm going to say The Virgin Suicides. Uh, The soundtrack was Air. The... French uh, electronic okay. house, whatever you want to call them, band. And that was like a pure soundtrack. Oh, actually, you know what? The other one I will say, The Life Aquatic. I really like that one. Okay. The Wes Anderson movie. I can say I've heard of none of these suggestions. You've wow, they're good movies. They're really good movies. Okay. Virgin Suicides is like Sofia Coppola's like breakout movie before Lost in Translation. Okay. Um, but yeah, Wes Anderson's Royal Tenenbaums. Or sorry, not Royal Tenenbaums. The Life Aquatic. Uh, that had a fantastic soundtrack. It had the Stooges on it. It had an amazing Joan Baez song about Sacco and Vanzetti. It had a uh, it, one of the actors in the movie did David Bowie covers, but while singing in Portuguese because he's Brazilian. Uh, so that was pretty fun. So yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna go with the Life Aquatic because I know that that was post 2000. See, we're gonna. Sh- I'm gonna show the difference in our age here. Yeah. It's a movie I didn't like, but Frozen. I think Frozen's soundtrack is actually incredible. I mean, that's fair. <laughs> um, yeah. To me, I also like. I love Spider Man. Spider Man One. I think the original soundtrack for that was amazing. It's Danny Elfman, I believe, who made that mm. one, and that dude. Is so like, you're talking like score. Oh, like it, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, okay. It could be any option yeah. there. Uh, I'm so, like the music in that is just awesome. To me, mm. like that. That is how you do a soundtrack right in a in a superhero movie. And you look at like. Um, have you watched Guardians of the Galaxy? The oh, original? Yeah. yeah. So the soundtrack of that one's pretty good. Pretty but it's all licensed music. That's not much fun. Uh, and you look at like the early American Pies and they had all the music that I ended up becoming a fan of. Mm. But to me, like, like, yeah, it's got to be original music I, to a point. Sure. So I'm, I'm Frozen, I think, is fantastic soundtrack. Way better than the actual movie. But I also am not the target market of the, the movie. They probably weren't making it for a lot of 20-year-olds no. when they made the movie. Uh, the last question it can't include a Hall of Famer. Okay. But if you can have a game-worn jersey from any player in any hockey, what it could be World Juniors, could be the NHL, could be at any other tournament, what would it be? But it can't be a Hall of Famer. But it can be a Hall of Famer. Okay, well, if I'm going on, like, what would be the kind of coolest, uh, the first one that comes to mind would be, like, John Slaney's World Junior jersey from when he scored that goal. Because that was, like, to me... And, you know, because I was of the age where, like, hockey was everything, it was like, that was like, wow, this World Junior Tournament is awesome. This is going to be a thing. Yeah. Um, and obviously, John Slaney, um, you know, had a bit of an NHL career. But, I mean, that was sort of the high watermark for him. 
Um, so I think, especially for people of my generation, like, yo, that was John Slaney's jersey when he scored that goal against the Russians. So that's the one that comes to mind immediately for me. I was at a an antique show or antique like um, place a couple days ago, and they had a like a World Junior like pennant with John Slaney's signature on it. Only thirty bucks. It's wow, like, is that like a fake one? Like that seems like a pretty cool thing to have, given how big of a World Junior star he was. Mm. For me, I want Jordan Eberle's jersey from the the World Juniors when he scored oh, against okay. Russia, because yeah, that's, that's just like you look you look at how big of a goal that was in Canadian history. Yeah. Paul Henderson's jersey, also maybe another one. Right. Um, but yeah, like for that, that'd be one I think that'd be kind of cool, even though that was not my favorite Team Canada uh, jersey mm-hmm. um, that they ever did. Um, but yeah, that's, that's one I would go for, uh, just because of how memorable that is in terms of how much it's played every Christmas at the yeah. World Juniors. Hey, look at this great goal. It's like, yeah, we've seen it a thousand times. Jordan Eberle did more than score one big goal against Russia. He was a pretty good World Junior player. You know, I'm correct. That one against the Russia where they came back wasn't even the championship game, was it? No, it was semifinal, if I'm not mistaken. So there well, you go. It was pretty big. Yeah, it was a pretty big goal for that. So, all right, that's it for uh, this week in terms of everything. And the next time we talk, it'll be uh, round, a preview round two, which, uh, I don't know, has this round felt... Quick or slow? I feel like it's felt quick, but we recorded the, we recorded our last episode over a week ago, and we're like halfway in some of the series. So mm-hmm. it's a I don't know it's kind of a, a mix, but uh, yeah, no, it's been uh, interesting playoffs. So uh, thank you for watching, listening, however you consumed it, and we'll uh, see you next week. I can be-